0: Welcome to Win Win, a podcast from the Department of Sport and Exercise Science at the Waterford Institute of Technology. I'm your host, Bruce Wardrop, and in each episode, I'll be chatting with someone who works behind the scenes in sports, helping athletes maximise their performance potential. If my guest is winning, hopefully their athletes are winning too. In this episode, I'm catching up with Carl Stedman, who is a member of the CrossFit HQ seminar staff. Carl, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak no to problem, us today. Bruce, thanks for having me. No worries. Good. I think first and foremost, right, we said there you're a member of the CrossFit HQ staff. I think CrossFit these days is definitely becoming more mainstream and most of our listeners should at least be aware or familiar with CrossFit. But just in case we have anyone who hasn't heard of it before, could you give us a quick overview of what CrossFit is?
1: Take me about 40, 50 minutes if you want me to go through a lecture there, bud. But uh, yes, a strength and conditioning program um, based around the application of varying functional movements, understanding what those are, applying the degrees of high intensity to um, elicit performance goals and life goals, really. Depends on what your, your view of fitness is, you know.
0: Excellent. Okay. So in your your, your work as, as part of the CrossFit HQ st- seminar staff, I think it's fair to say you've got one of the, the coolest and perhaps enigmatic job titles out there. You <laughs> are a CrossFit flow master, a seminar flow master. So, what is a, know, a
1: I've never heard of that term before I started working for this company. I think they might have invented it. Um, it's more akin to a lead instructor or uh, a course supervisor, so to speak. So uh, my job role is I can perform any facet of that weekend seminar, whether it's a demonstration role, whether it's a lecture, whether it's running the groups when we look at movement. Um, so it's basically you're there to support the overall team because you don't work them on your own. You normally work them with um, several others of your, of the seminar staff. So your job role is to support them in terms of their application, be able to step in at the last minute, provide feedback, um, and uphold the standards that are required for the ongoing credential and just generally just so as we can be proud of the work.
0: Okay, good. So yeah, it, you mentioned that. So the seminar staff, you're, you're obviously delivering seminars, the CrossFit certification. Uh, I think okay. I'm right in saying there's four levels of CrossFit uh, certification out there. So okay. could you perhaps just give us a, a, a brief explanation of the different levels, what, the, what they mean, like what, level one through to a level four?
1: Um, what the original qualification always was, which is basically it was designed for where CrossFit was at the time, a collection of garage gym athletes, right? So um, it was bringing them all together and making sure their movements were up to speed and that they understood the methodology. So it's a two-day introduction really to CrossFit, whereby you get a broad brush across many different subjects, but enough to start your journey of coaching and applying it. Um, That would be the level one. So you're looking at things like very basic level programming, defining fitness, understanding what CrossFit is, looking at what we consider to be the the foundational movement series. So a squat series, a press series, a deadlift series, being able to teach those and execute those. Um, That would be the first first level one. Level two all then digs a lot deeper um, into the craft of coaching more effective teaching, seeing, correcting, group management, uh, presence and attitude skills, and demonstration. So that's normally for people that have been applying the program for a little longer. Um, the level three is uh, a theory. is all about um, the testing your knowledge of deeper levels of all the facets that come to coaching, not just the day-to-day running of it. It's also understanding, I don't know, like running of a gym, implementing a kid's program, more in-depth strength and conditioning knowledge. Um so once you pass that, then where I like the credential level, I know I'm biased, but I like the the next level is once you've got the, the, the knowledge upstairs, that is only one part of your journey. The next piece, the level four is great. You can talk a good game and you understand a good game. Now, can you apply a good game? So then you get tested on your ability to coach. So the level four is you'll turn up and get assessed um, on coaching. So you you better have a thick skin. So you'll get assessed where on the level two, it becomes criteria for feedback. We went through things like teaching. Um, so then instead of it being helpful hints on how to teach, now it's going to be like, well, can you? And when it comes to seeing and or correcting faults, the level four is, well, great, can you? And so you will be assessed by like the, the, the top tier of, of CrossFit coaches um, and they'll assess you. And basically that's a pass fail. So that's once you get that, then you get the uh, the credential of a CrossFit coach and you'll be a level four.
0: Good. That's that's really, really comprehensive. And it, it makes such logical sense when you see it spelled out like that. And it parallels or it, 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 it's in keeping with what I want to talk to you about today. Because I think when I, when I was thinking about guests for the podcast and thinking about the audience of the podcast, uh, you came to mind because, well, we have, I, I kind of we knew each other basically we're, we're uh, social media buddies at this stage but um i uh, i think from almost anyone i can think of you have probably worked with or been exposed to more coaches than anyone else i can think of you've got what is it must be a decade plus doing this
1: and it's um yeah every weekend of, of working with working with trainers and and people who want to be coaches Yep.
0: Yeah. So you've got a huge amount of experience working with with coaches of varying ability, from people who are just starting out in their career, uh, to people who are very who have years of experience and are looking to really fine tune their uh, fine tune their craft, as you put it. So, I'm just wondering, like, if it's a big question, but in your experience, what really makes a good coach stand out? enough it's the hardest thing about
1: it is it's a massive intangible and, and what I mean by that is the best coaches are the ones that um that simply care more often than not and I know that seems like a very sort of loose term but it's you can't really kind of grade a level of care can you right but if if somebody bring if a coach brings um empathy a passion for service and genuinely buys into the people that they're coaching, then everything else can can literally be taught. Everything else is simply a skill set. So an ability to teach something is a skill set that requires practice and exposure, but definitely can be developed. The ability to see faults is an entirely a, an ability to – can be taught. An ability to correct is, again, experience, all that kind of stuff. But it means nothing if it's um, not backed up with passion and and care for the person that you're after, right? So – it's. I could draw two parallels to give it a bit of a better example. Where I've been, I've seen coaches that have got all the technical knowledge. Um, they they can you know sniff a fault in somebody's movement from a mile away, right? And, they, and they'll be able, and they've got a myriad of corrective strategies, and they can fire that out as well. And and they won't have people in their classes because people can feel the fact that they don't really care and they're not respected or, or whatever it may be, right? They're, there's just that intangible piece where they're like, no. Nah, I'm not that interested and the, and the exact opposite is true where I've seen big classes and and people having a whale of a time, you know, like the, the atmosphere is buzzing. They're having great, you know, everything's good. The music's up. They're all having fun, especially in the particular CrossFit environment. And, you know, the coach is running around, knows the athletes, you know, he's asking about their weekend or like, you know, just diving deeper knows the athletes cares about the athletes. And then at the end of it, I'll be sitting there and I'll, I'll get my, my, my assessment head on, I guess. And I'll be like, you know, I don't think that guy was actually a very effective teacher and and also I don't think that they actually corrected anybody's movement really, you know. And I'm like, but nobody cared. They were just having a having a great time. Now, obviously, if you if you could have an ideal scenario, it's grabbing those two those two extremes and executing them at the same time. But ironically enough, I think I'd rather have the the dude who's got the buzzing class and 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 cares, because I can teach him all the other stuff. The other one, that's that's really hard to to progress like you, you either care or you don't care, and so I think that's the biggest piece
0: yeah that that that's really, really interesting because one of my, my next questions that I was thinking of is you know when you're on a level one and you 've got a load of people who are coming in and the 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 participants on the level one are maybe people who are doing it to develop their own personal interest or they might be looking to start out their career as a coach um are there any qualities that you see in people, like on those courses, that you look at that person and go, "Oh yeah, this person just gets it, or they've got it," and maybe you've already answered it there. But you know, do these things stand out to you? I think it's the the top
1: the top tree of most folk. Uh, it doesn't matter what craft you're in, right? They're generally pretty humble folk, and they recognise that they might know a little bit, but it's an ongoing process. You're never the done deal. So it's a degree of humility and selflessness is normally at, at, at top of that piece, you know, where it's like, I mean, if we're being brutally honest in my trade, anyway, you're in a service industry and to be of service means that you shouldn't really have too much ego about you. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Right. But if your, your job is to be better at your job for others, that's the, that's the whole point, right? We're trying to develop athletes as, as not just performers, but as people hopefully too. Right. And so therefore if we're doing that, then you can't have too many negative traits about you. And so you can kind of see through those. If it's all about me, 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 then that's normally where I look at it in my trade, where I'm like, oh, well, cool. I, that one's going to be a good athlete. Right. But if it's <laughs> yeah. somebody who's always, it's always going to be like, they're always going to be a bit more, oh, no, helping somebody else or, they'll they'll stop doing their their workout or their training to to help somebody else or or to offer some advice or do something like that. I'll be like, there's a coach. That doesn't mean those things can't exist simultaneously. I just think for the, for the vast majority of folk, unless you're super drilled at being able to change who you are at any given time, you're probably leaning more towards one more than the other, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's probably a little bit of nurturing that needs to be done there to guide the, guide the person along. Mm -hmm. Um, Very good. So if we have we, we, we we'll take that on a bit then if we have someone who's yep. uh, looking to progress from being a beginner starting out their career to to being a competent coach to being a good coach and beyond uh what do you think is that is the best thing that those that person can do to develop themselves as a coach
1: Such a fun question because there's so many layers right so many rabbit holes also that you can kind of dive on into and it's it's you've got to be able to do both right because Um, You have to keep increasing your knowledge, expose yourself to new different ways of doing things and understanding methodologies and application and and oftentimes the science that sits behind a lot of solid protocols. But they mean nothing without time in trade, you know, like so trying to apply them and adjusting them. And as you go, right, you have to have the both. So you can't just be all about the practical application and have no knowledge of the underpinning concepts. But at the same vein as well, you can't just be spouting knowledge without Trying to apply it on a daily basis. So, what I will, what normally happens when people start coaching, in, in my experience, just in the CrossFit world, is they tend to massively over-teach and undercorrect movement when it comes to it because they they got this body of knowledge which is which is like swimming around in their mind, and they 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 have this tendency to almost give verbal diarrhea all over their athletes. So, I can give you an exact example if we if we know that in just being able to perform a well-executed air squat. So unloaded, just simply lowering and raising your own center of mass. Then the knowledge piece that sits there is that I know that I want to keep a neutral spine. I want to achieve depth below parallel. I want to keep the weight generally towards the heels. I want the knees tracking the toes and I want to push the hips back and down, all that kind of good stuff. Now that's all a knowledge piece. And I've got that swimming up here. But if I throw all that onto my athlete right out the gate, then they're going to, not hear all of the relevant points. They're going to choose one of those that they heard maybe last or first or whatever they chose to focus on. And that's what they'll choose to execute. And then I'll run around chasing my tail, trying to correct stuff. Whereas we generally find that if you drip feed in your information as they're practicing, you're going to get not just greater attention to detail. You're also going to have the ability for them to retain the information. Right. So uh, it comes from a good place. That's that's the irony, right? Your, your coach is trying to deliver so much information because they're like, "I really want to, I want to teach you, I want to give you this information," and here it is. And you'll just see your your athlete be like, you can see their eyes almost glaze over because it's way too much information. And it's only after time that you realize, oh, instead of front loading, which is which is what we'd call it, where we deliver all the information, um, it's better to layer that information across repetitions. And that's where you know we can either do that by, you know, hey put your feet here. That's great. Give them some feedback. All right, now this is the first thing I want you to focus on. Go ahead and do it. Give some feedback. Here's the next thing I want you to focus on. Go ahead and do it. Give them some feedback. That's a far more effective way to teach a movement and have it sit in. And if there's real complex stuff going on, like i don't only got real dynamic movement with multiple moving pieces, say like a push press where I've got to do a dip drive and then add in a press, then in that regard, it might be easier for me to utilize something like progressions where i break that movement down into segments now those are all just strategies and skills that just help you to be able to deliver information a little better but can you see how if i've if i draw it back to what the original concern was if i deliver too much information it really robs me of an ability to give accurate feedback because i'm trying to see too much detail all at the same time so there's no way that i can assess on one movement um, the intricacies of where the weight is in somebody's Squat, or if they push their knees forward too much, or if they've it's just just at or below parallel, or their back just rounds just a little bit at the bottom. If I've if I'm asking my athlete to do all of these things, I'm going to miss those more subtle deviations away from the ideal because I'm trying to see too much. I'm seeing out here as opposed to all right. First thing I want you to work on is pushing your hips back and down. All right, cool. Go ahead, and then guess what I'm tracking, seeing if they're pushing their hips back and down. Right. I'm not worried about any of the other stuff just yet because I don't need to be. I'm teaching one thing at a time. So in that way, we try to help our, our coaches when they begin to recognize that the knowledge is great, but you have to be smarter about how you give it to your athletes, which will then make you better at your ability to see faults and or correct faults. It's, um, it's, just, it's fun little strategies that you can help layer in and, and give people awareness to, to avoid the big pitfalls.
0: That, that, that's a great answer. I like, I'm, I'm nodding away here at all you said, and I'm, I'm sure my students are going to think that I'm after giving you a script to, to prompt you to say those things there, because no, you, you, you it echo didn't. a lot of the stuff that uh, uh, you, you echo a lot of the stuff that, that, that we try to drill down, especially with some of our, our undergrads who are in the, in the very early stages of their course. And um, it's, it's that exact thing, you know, they're, 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 some of them will have varying degrees of experience in the weights room, but they're all really keen to show you how much they know, and that translates into over-teaching at the start. So the, you have a participant or a client who's just standing there, like you said, listening to 20, 20 teaching points for a very simple movement when all they want to do is move. Uh, and you know, you, you know, layer up. That's uh, yeah. I, I I really really like that answer. Great stuff. So yeah, you mentioned there time and trade. So you know, learn by doing. I'd say is that that's that's one of your your big things. Is that fair to say?
1: Both. It's it's all about, you learn things. And I mean, that's, that's the danger of all of us as coaches, right? We, we go and do a new course and, that, and then all of a sudden that informs our next probably like eight to 12 weeks of like try diving into it, right? Because we're just, we've got all that brand new knowledge and we're like, yeah, i got to go. And then you kind of drop everything else, you know? So, so for example, in the CrossFit world, that'd be like, I don't know, I go and learn uh, all about the specifics of gymnastics. And I'm like, I get so intricate and in all the, all of those pieces without realizing that in CrossFit gymnastics is just one thing we want to be good at. But I dive off because I've got all this new knowledge and, you know, I I implement it and then I realize that everybody's barbell work sucks and they can't do more than a 400 meter run. And I'm like, damn it. You know, so it's um, the fun thing when you come to the implementation as a coach is taking the knowledge and then being like, well, okay, how does it factor into my overall big picture of what my athletes need? And then beyond that is, yeah, yeah, then how do I deliver that in a more effective way? So as it's retained, you know, we, we can get stuck in our environments where terms that are, second nature to us because we've had it explained to us mean nothing out on the dance floor out on the gym floor right you know so we have in CrossFit we teach our athletes from the knowledge point of view and the coaches where hey we have athletic themes which are important in execution of movement so themes like midline stabilization themes like uh, active shoulders but the the danger is then just because it sounds like fancy knowledge it's almost like the curse of the personal trainer Um, forgive the phrase but it's like that bullshit baffles brains more often than not. Like if I sound intelligent, then that must mean I am intelligent. Unfortunately, it doesn't help um, my athlete on the receiving end get any better. So, you know, if I was to say, right, when we go overhead, I want you to show me active shoulders, then my athletes probably thinking that sounds like a good idea. And then the follow-up question is probably like, but how do I do that coach? Right. So, and, and as we know as well, if I was to use that, that exact phrase, demonstrating the theme of active shoulders is going to be very different actions dependent on the movement I want, right? So the active shoulder that I would want displayed hanging from a pull-up bar would be a different action from that athlete than it would be required if they were supporting themselves on top of rings or maintaining a, a, a close bar path in a deadlift or any of these things, right? They, they all require the theme of active shoulders, but they would require different actions for my for. Um, the athlete's body. And so therefore that's where I have that knowledge piece again, right? I know I want active shoulders, but I'm not going to say active shoulders. I'm just going to say, Hey, give me X, Y, Z, like body part direction. Right. So, you know, in the deadlift setup, try and squeeze your lats and put mm. them in your back pocket yeah, yeah. as opposed to when you're doing a ring support, if I oh, show me a neck, right? Cause that shows they're pushing down. And if they, if they kind of like lose their neck, then they've lost that active shoulder in a ring support. So You just have to make it more practically um, applicable at any given time, really.
0: Yeah, that's, again, echoes some of the the other questions I wanted to ask you. So, you know, lots of our students, they are in, in the midst of their education or they're doing courses, they come out with a head full of theory. Uh, and despite our best efforts, just, you know, the nature of third level or by doing these courses, you come out with all the theory, but you're perhaps a little bit behind in your practical application, um, initially. And that, that's just, the, that's just the way it goes. So I suppose what you're hinting at there is the the balance of being book smart versus being street smart, as my mother would have said, uh, you know, you, 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 you know, you've got it up here, but can, can you apply it? So, it, it's 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 a hard. I don't. It's a, this is probably a hard question. Is there? Do you think there's a preference to what a coach should look to develop first? Should they should they dive into the theory and then try it, try it practically, or should they get involved practically and then learn as they go, or or do both concurrently?
1: I guess it depends on what the uh, the coach or trainer is bringing already to the table. Right. It's um if they've got a good solid teaching background, um then they've probably already understand how to deliver information and so this would be like adding another string to their bow in in that regard right a a different skill set so to speak so i know that i didn't find it that hard although there was still a growth um applying crossfit principles because i'd already been a trainer for six or seven years um at that time you know out out in you know corporate environments um you know the leisure sector and all that kind of stuff so i'd had a lot of time of failing at how to teach and learning at the other side of it. And so trying to figure that out, adding in the next process of, of CrossFit as a skill set wasn't as hard or I perhaps had a leg up, a head start on, on the practical application. So I would probably say it depends on how much teaching you've done. in in that in that background you know because for example you could still have somebody who's at university but they spent all their time at university um working on coaching in one of the the footy teams or the rugby teams or a swim squad or whatever it may be right so they could they could still already be bringing that practical experience alongside and then they're just going to layer in a new skill set so they would probably find it easier and develop faster if they've already done the teaching piece and understand how to deliver information i mean let's be honest a good teacher just has the ability to make something complex very simple more often than not especially in my mind right because I'm not particularly clever so it that's that's always the ones I remember is 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 that piece so I think it's probably just that teaching background if you've been teaching then you'll probably make a more effective coach and if you've not then you'll probably struggle with it for a bit and until you can realize how to deliver information a little better
0: yeah, that's interesting. One of one of my previous guests is uh he's a strength and conditioning coach um, and he's out working in Australia. Um, and he's recently got called up to work with the Australia, with the wallabies, with the national squad. And he said something that really struck struck a chord with me. He said, you know, if you want to be a good coach, you've got to coach. And he said the only difference between what I'm doing now with the with the, with the wallabies, working at international test level rugby, uh compared to someone who's coaching their under 16 team, you've probably got the same variety of people, the same variety of personalities. You're learning how to manage, you're learning how to communicate effectively with the same type of type of people. And it's that being able to communicate, being able to deliver your message. It doesn't matter whether it's your local under 16 team or whether it's an international rugby team. He said that the process is the same and you've got to get good at that process. Practice uh, is, is, is what's required
1: the short answer is yeah it's got to be both i think you have to be you have to be developing them concurrently like you can i'd probably even say you'd still get a stronger coach who put it this way i would take somebody who can deliver material who's can look critically at a, a movement and be like yeah something's wrong and i think it's here and they might not understand the reasons why but i would take that individual and give them the reasons why as opposed to somebody who has the huge body of knowledge but none of the other practical application that's going to be a longer journey it would be a, a faster and a more effective journey I think to do it the other way around I know that's where it was funny preparing my wife to do um, her level three exam she was a fantastic practical coach and so she'd spent her whole time like from university all the way through like water polo coaching swimming coaching all that kind of stuff and then got into CrossFit coaching um and coaching kids in particular and we, and was a super effective practical coach then when we started stripping back the layers of like the the foundational knowledge that, that it wasn't there because that wasn't her study when she was at uni and um, she did like environmental science and things like that so you start i was talking about planes of motion just as an example and um rachel be like and and what are they and i'm like oh damn yeah like it's just not studied in them so like fantastically good at delivering information i mean as you well know if you coach kids it's like herding cats at the best of time so being able to keep them engaged and deliver information and so much so that they retain it that's a that's a solid skill set being able to see and correct and teach adults to for multiple years when we ran the gym together so she had the all of the practical application and it was a much faster um journey for her to be able to have the the knowledge base it was just like hey these are the things you need to read. Here are the videos you need to watch. Here's the, here's the basic underpinning knowledge. And, um, yeah, you, you've done the hard yards cause you spent 10 years actually doing it. So it, you, you're good to go. And it was, and as a result of that, and then she, she went and, and, and passed what I'd argue is a, is a, it's a pretty spicy credential. So it's like a four hour online exam, which I know I don't need to tell a lot of your audience that that's a tough exam, but, but it's, um, it's, uh, it yeah. was, it was certainly, it was certainly a, a more efficient way around it. I think.
0: Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think, uh, you know, saying there that get out, start now, get out coaching now, whatever your sport, whatever your discipline is, get out there, experience the coaching. You can learn that the theory as you go along, you can revisit the theory later if it slips out the back of your head at some stage, but uh, you can't, uh, it's hard to regain those, it's impossible to regain those coaching errors if they're not there. To the environment you want to
1: work in as well. Like it has to be. If you are going to be a one-on-one coach, then that's fine. Coach one-on-one. But if you are going to be a group coach, then it, it, no amount of one-on-one coaching is going to prepare you for a group. So you have to be you have to be working in that now. A group is loosely loosely defined, isn't it? Because a group could actually mean anything, and so therefore you could start if you are a one-on-one coach and that's where you are you are truly good then you can see how your next step up from that would be maybe two or three folk and still trying to be excellent there. Right. And then you, you drip feed up. There's no, there's no amount of one-on-one coaching. There's no amount of theory or anything like that is going to enable you to be able to coach a group of 10, 15 or 20 effectively. I mean, as those numbers increase, your likelihood of being effective at seeing and correcting probably drops off anyway, unless you're an absolute ninja. So it's you've got to, it's got to be relevant to the environment you want to work in as well and and start building in CrossFit we call that threshold training same as how we want to improve our athleticism right I push my current capacity till the wheels start to wobble till I'm less accurate and then I back off and then I push again and then I back off and then I push again and I back off and through that process I try to get better at my skill set or faster at it's execution or whatever it may be it's how we get good at anything right and that's the same with coaching we we just ask people to have a an honest assessment every time you finish coaching a group and be like, did I get around everybody? Did I give them something relevant? Or did I get stuck in one area? Um, did I not get to those two folk at the back or whatever it may be, you know, it's, um, it's having that ability to critically assess where you're at and then realize if that's a norm. So if like every single time I'm like, I'm failing to get over there and I can't figure out why, then that might just be way beyond your threshold just yet. So therefore back it off a little and then work within that group and make sure that that's absolutely yeah i'm I'm money here right i've got i'm going around my entire group and i'm hitting everybody i've got everything nailed right good now i'll push a little bit again so it's um i think that's the 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 wonderful thing that we help people to gain awareness of it's just because you've done a two-day introductory course probably doesn't mean that you're ready to coach groups of 15 to 20 athletes i mean like that's it's just about knowing where you are on your journey. It doesn't mean that you're not ready either, right? So again, I draw those parallels to what we talked about previously. If you've got a solid teaching background and you've been used to running groups of 15 to 20, then applying the, the CrossFit skill set, you're probably going to have to back it off a little, drop down to 8 or 10. But your ability to run a group and deliver information to a group of bodies is, is there, you know you're fine, but if you never coached anybody before, you're going to 100% suck at it. And so you better just grab a buddy and and like a, a PVC pipe or a med ball and go and go practice, right? Because that's that's consistent with where your skill set lies. And that's that's not me trying to slam on anything. It's just it's that's a smart place. When you start doing anything, you suck at it. So you, the only way you get to suck a little less is by practicing and evaluating and recognizing where you did well, so as you can do it again recognize what you didn't do well and try and come up with strategies um to offset that the next time hopefully
0: so i think it'd be fair to say that would you place a, a significant amount of value on self-reflection as, after yeah along as you go through your career as you're at, the, at the end of every class at the end of every day
1: key in the, the seminar department we're held to a high standard like the it has like a high 80% attrition rate for people that even try out for the seminar staff. So, and even when you get in, it's basically, then the journey is to keep the red shirt. Cause as, as you said, it kind of looks like a very glamorous role. And I totally get that it is it's an honor and a privilege to work for the seminar staff, but it's also, there's probably <laughs> about 5,000 people that would um, rip your arm off to take your job. So if you, if you get complacent in the job role, um, there's, it's immediate, it's easy that you just get moved on, you know, like it's uh, somebody will have your job in a heartbeat. Right. So, it's we're we're big on adherence to standards and, and receiving feedback is huge on that because just like coaching and you don't know what you don't know, um, same with coaching too. It it takes critical eyes, it takes talented eyes, but it also just it just requires feedback. And we are all our own harshest critics. And so, you know, we were often recommend to people that if they're not in an environment where they can receive feedback. Um, then the easiest way to generate it is to probably film yourself executing a skill set. You know, like so set an iPad up or an iPhone up and just, just simply film five minutes of your class, right? Whether it's going to be the whiteboard brief at the start or whether it's taking people through a warm up or a specific, um, specific warm up or the workout itself or however you want to structure it. It just needs to be a snippet. Hidden within that five minutes is going to be a lot of information where you're going you're to be able to um, look at what you do and be like, why am I talking so much? Like that could have been put across in two sentences. Like, damn, because, you know, I'm lucky constantly getting smashed in a good way, right, but constantly getting smashed by people who don't really have um, a bedside manner because a <laughs> lot of people in CrossFit are ex or serving military, so they get straight to the point. So I remember uh, an old boss of mine would just simply say, hey, here's it simple every time you talk somebody ain't moving when do you do your work I'm like uh yeah that makes sense yeah so there's a very thinly veiled shut the hell up and get people moving so as you can see and correct, i'm like yep gotcha so it's just without that feedback without that level of um and and also being open to it as well you know nobody's perfect it's you've always got to be pushing and you can always execute a skill set better and learn from anybody good bad or the ugly right but it's um A a continual refinement process. It's a skill set. It's perishable too. You know, if you're not on the dance floor, then your ability to execute that will will start to wane and wander. Unless you've got a good couple of years under your under your belt, I think. So it needs to be constantly practiced, constantly refined, and get feedback. Self evaluation, totally fine too. Write it down in a journal, right? You know, why did it go well this week? Cool. What what didn't you feel you did well? What new strategies for correcting movement did you try? Um, You know. Whatever it may be, it's um. I think that's that reflection piece is is crucial to your ongoing growth. Otherwise, you'll stagnate, right?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, we talked about receiving feedback there, and we, you hinted at it a few a few minutes ago. There, talking about giving feedback to to athletes as well, fixing problems. I think I've heard. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna credit you for this one. It was a term I hadn't heard before. Uh, being able to triage athletes, you know, when you're looking to fix problems one by one. So, what do you think? Like. Tell me about that. What's your, what, what, what do you mean when you say you're triaging an athlete?
1: Yeah, no, I, I got you. it's um, a movement. Yes, I mean, that's, that's not my term. It's um, quite blatantly robbed from the medical and, and military communities. Uh, triage is just simply how they assess stuff, right? So you go into the triage unit at the A&E and they're going to look at what injuries you have and then kind of rank you in order of importance in terms of when they're going to treat you, right? So you come in with like, I don't know, blood spurting out your neck you got a broken arm and you've got like a hangnail then it's probably not going to be the hangnail you go after first right it's gonna you go for the most important thing so that process of triage is exactly what we normally do um when you're assessing for movement you know and and normally the if you think about uh triage is probably the most smart way of looking at it you're going to triage towards well where are my safety concerns and what's the risk to my athlete right now Um, then probably next after that, we're going to look for, you know, attention to full range of motion in whatever that's required at the moment. And then the third piece in there is probably going to be like, how do they do it? So efficiency. So for example, if you notice somebody who's trying to do a push jerk or a split jerk, um, and they're not opening their hips, that would be an efficiency thing, right? Because nobody ever died from a lack of hip extension. So it's entirely all a performance related thing. So that would come down my list in terms of wanting to fix if I saw my athlete, every time they dipped, they were collapsing through their chest, right? And their back was then getting pulled into flexion because um, now that could be possibly injurious as well as being a, a severe performance lack of. And so therefore in my mind, I'm like, well, I see these two faults. Triage would just simply mean I'd probably selectively ignore the lack of hip extension for the time being and and choose to drill in and make them a safer movement. Um, it's, when it comes to that, that's an obvious logical um, thing, and I don't think many people would have have concerns there, and we don't see that being poorly executed more often than not. There's obvious exceptions, of course, right, on anybody's skill set, but that makes sense as a process. I generally see where it starts to come unraveled is where people see multiple faults, and in their mind, they have equal importance, and then they try to fix it all at once. and so. We spend a lot of time with people saying like, look, if you've got, say, I don't know, let's use the the jerk analogy again. You've got somebody who has like a, a quite excessive dip forwards. So they're dipping forwards. You know, that's going to pull them onto their toes more than likely. And the bar will get driven forwards as an example in a movement. But they're also lacking hip extension. I'll then see my my less experienced coaches try to fix both like all the time. Do this, but remember this, but do this, but don't forget that. But, do, but, and they'll just be going and going and going. And then it just goes into this like circular dance of the athlete being like, well, what do you want me to work on, coach? And then coach is getting really frustrated because they're like, because I I want you to work on both. And so I'll normally pose the question then to the coach. I'll be like, well, which one of those do you feel is, is most important? You've got to make a decision. And they'll be like, you know, half of them might say hip extension and half of them might say that they're forward inclined. And I'll be like, cool. I ain't mad matter either. I'm just, you need to make a decision and work on one at a time. More than likely, you're going to get more success that way. doesn't mean you ignore the other thing. You're just going to selectively ignore it for a period of time whilst focusing on one of the other faults before you then come back to it. And then they're like, well, how long do you leave it? I'm like, I wish I could tell you, bro. But I don't know, you know, like it all depends on how long that athlete takes to understand the, the one thing that you want and focused on. So I think a lot of the time is just letting people aware that when it comes to the process of triage, it's like a, it's a double-edged sword. If you've got a good enough eye to assess somebody's movement and see multiple faults, then the danger is you'll try and correct multiple faults. Now that doesn't mean that you're not going to chance your luck. That's the, that's the skill set and the joy of coaching, which is why it's a challenge all the time. You'll get the improvement in the first thing and you'll be like, all right, cool. I'm going to push my luck. I'm going to go chasing after the second thing, maybe, or my third thing, whatever it may be. And then, but then you've got to be able to recognize if it undoes the good work that you've done previously and not just flog the dead horse, right? So if my chase for the secondary point robs me of my primary thing, then I'm just going to hold full accountability and be like, do you know what? Don't worry about that second thing. Let's stay focused on this. And so, but then there are going to be those days where you come across as a ninja coach, right? You're like, do this, right? That fixes the the first thing. And then you're like, all right, now try doing this too and they'll do the second thing and you'll be like, "Ah, oh, damn, I'm like ninja coach today." Drop the mic and walk away, but it's that that thought process and that assessment protocol and that journey is something you have to learn by just being probably frustrated at a lack of improvement along the way.
0: <laughs> Very good. Yeah. No, I think I, I, that uh, also brings me nicely into, into another one, one of the last or later things I want to ask you about the, you know, levels and layers of feedback that you give to an athlete. So yeah, you've, you've, I said there, you triage, you've identified problems um, and <clears throat> uh, you, in your head, you've said, right, this is the one I'm going to deal with now. This is the most pressing problem. Then being the ability to, how much importance do you place on the ability to, being, uh, to be able to deliver uh, the same feedback but in different ways to different athletes. I think that's oh, yeah. something that the beginner coaches often struggle with as well. They, they, they Sometimes they have, well, this is the problem, this is how I fix this. But that doesn't get through to, to an athlete and they keep repeating the same thing and it's still not getting through and it's still not getting through. They just need to develop their feedback.
1: Like three primary strategies in terms of giving feedback, right? So you've got um, verbal corrections, obviously, and even within then is the tendency to, over-verbalize so most effective ways uh, and this can be a big trouble when you have a lot of knowledge is you want to give the reasons why but more often than not your athlete just needs to know what to do with what body part so you know I could say hey I need to see in my opinion about 65% more weight in your heels which is going to lead to a more efficient engagement of the posterior chain and is also going to keep you more balanced around that frontal plane which is going to make you more mechanically advantageous to execute your lift and um, all of that's correct to a point, right? But um, could you see how I could replace all of that with on the next lift, keep your heels down? And so a lot of it, and even then, even within that piece is is still, that might not work either. Uh, one of the, the joys of working for an international seminar staff is sometimes they don't understand the words that come out your mouth. So, you know, you, if you... If you don't even have that going for you, then you, you have to develop an ability to use visual cues too, which is normally we, we see um, better adherence to those when we give a contrast, right? You're doing this, but I want you to do this. And you then have to have a good awareness of the movement itself and the fault itself as well um, to show a big enough contrast. If you think we as professionals struggle to see faults, then your athlete whose job isn't to see faults, you've got to show a big contrast. So for example, if somebody's elbows are dropping when they're executing a front squat, it's not good enough for me to just give them the visual of like, Hey, your elbows are here and I need them here and give them like a tiny little difference between the two. Cause they're going to be like, well, what's the difference? I'm probably going to have to over exaggerate the fault to give them a clear difference. Like your elbows are down here, mate. I need them all the way up here now. Cause I've increased the range between those two points. My athlete's going to be like, gotcha. Okay. I can see I need to lift my elbows now, or whatever the fault may be. And then that works well in a group environment because it's, you know, if my words are my fastest, right? I can fire those out. But let's say the music's up and people are getting after it and it's in the middle of a lifting session and I'm trying to create a good environment. um, Then that's a real fast one, too. I can be like, just get my athlete's attention from across the dance floor and just give them the old, you know, I don't actually have to say anything. I can just give them that same perspective give them some feedback afterwards or like more or whatever it may be and then the final one is tactile where you're just gonna you give targets to either work towards or away from the less less successful tactile cues are where you jam your athletes into position as 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 um, perhaps tempting as it might be sometimes but let's say for example you want your athlete to drive their knees out you're not going to grab their knees and yank them out right because they're probably going to punch you in the face it wouldn't be particularly good um so given targets, so maybe placing a PVC pipe or the outside of your hand on the outside of their knee and asking them to drive out into it is is a better um, strategy for many reasons. Your athlete has to do the work to achieve that new position. So they're generating the neurological processes and improving their movement as opposed to you as a coach forcing them or, or pushing it into a position. They haven't had to do any work to do that. So it's going to be less successful um, as a buy-in. So. Hidden within all of these strategies are recognizing which athlete works best with which cues. All right. So we we do a little jokey reference thing where it might not transfer. You, you'll get it, Bruce, but people just listening, they probably won't. But if, if um we do this thing where it's like, well, if I'm not accurate with my visuals, then I can rapidly undo anything I'm saying. So I'll normally say, hey, everybody, put your right hand up. All right, now we're gonna put that right hand on your nose, and then I'll do this. And then everybody, you know, about 90% of the crowd will do exactly what I've done, which is put their finger on their nose. And I'll be like, that's your finger. Surely you know the difference between your finger and your hand. Like, why did you all just put your finger on your hand? Like, your finger on your nose. And they were like, well, because you did. I'm like, oh. So that goes to prove a point that people either really listen to you or they watch what they do. They very rarely do both. And so it's a, it's a good thing an experienced coach will have all of that in their armory right okay my verbals aren't working switch let me give a visual okay that's not working switch i've got a tactile right switch switch and just you know you're just going to keep figuring that out as you go as you go as you go right
0: yeah yeah it's all about having that uh a big toolbox i guess there that you you have uh you you can draw from you, you know you've got lots of things at your disposable disposal and that'll only come as we keep harking back to from experience from putting uh, time and trade as you, as, as you like to yeah. say, coaching hours every day. Very good. I, this, and this has been really, really interesting. I think we, we might wrap it up soon, but uh, you've, you hinted there, you know, that you, you as a member of your, your, the CrossFit seminar staff or, or been a red shirt, uh, a very interesting career path. It's, it's one that's facilitated you traveling the world. Um a younger me might have been say it might have been one of those people that said you know what that'd be an awesome job I'd like to do it, uh, married with kids me is probably thinking Christ that's that's a big dra- that's a big drain that is demanding, but is that a career path yeah, that's still certainly.
1: open to I people? Mean, yeah, I mean. Uh, Aside from the obvious state of the world at the minute where uh, most borders are locked down and there's, there's, and so are gyms and there's not much work, right. Aside from the obvious there, but I mean, all bad things end, we just got to grizz it through and, and come to the other side of it. It's um the, yes, it's, it's certainly there. I mean, the, the, I, when I first got onto the seminar staff in 2009, uh, uh, my mindset was like, you know, this, this probably won't, won't, won't be around as a job role for, for too long. So I'm going to kind of like cruise the wave and I'm going to be enjoying it, you know, and it's, it's, Done nothing but accelerate. You know, more and more people wanting to get involved, um, interested in, and there's a career path. And if I'm being honest, it allowed me to um, develop being a professional trainer. Um, it was, you know, outside of outside of being a PT in a commercial gym or having a dedicated role in strength and conditioning for a professional sports team. There wasn't really the role of a professional trainer. It was, uh, you know, it was something you would do for a bit of time until we figured out what you wanted to do right i mean that was the joke my my mum was always like when are you going to get a proper job right and um and 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 then you realize that there there is a job role to be done out there and i think um, i know again i'm biased but i think crossfit has been integral in being able to professionalize the the training entity beyond sports Beyond um, just being a PT in a commercial gym, it's, it's given rise to the independent gym owner. I know they still existed, but there are a shed load more of them thanks to the CrossFit protocol and the affiliation model, yes. um, i.e. not being a franchise. So you're free to make it succeed or, or not based off your own merit, which I think is, is super cool. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's definitely a path. Whether you want to, then if you wanted to join the seminar staff, then yeah, it's um, there's a couple of prerequisites in terms of knowledge and experience. Like you need to have been coaching for a certain amount of time. You need to have got at least the the L three credential because then it means that you bought into the program. I mean, it'd be a bit daft for you working for a program you didn't fully buy into. So it would, um, yeah, there's that, and then then you can apply to. Do the internship, which is, um, yeah, basically a trial by fire of uh, can you do the thing, and just like, there's a lot of things in there where they'll test you. They just test test the ability of um, do you flap when <laughs> put under pressure, you know? Because a lot of a lot of the seminars are, are made or broken just on us being able to make last minute decisions on you know however it needs to go down. So yeah, there's a there's a lot of testing how that works, but it's fun. It's and it's definitely a job role that's open.
0: Yeah, that, that, I'm just, uh, the reason I brought it up is because it, it may interest some of our students there. I know a couple of them are, uh, they will go on placement in CrossFit gyms. Some of them are already working in CrossFit gyms, you know, so just to to, 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 to make them aware of that. I'm just thinking back, I think it was, um, it was 2010 I did my level one and I, it was back then I was only really kind of dipping my toe into CrossFit. I was doing it on my own. There was no affiliate near me. Um, I was going to be in London for work and I just happened to notice that there was a, a level one seminar going on that weekend so i arranged to stay on in london so you, you said you start on the seminar staff in 2009 so 2010 would have been early days for you i think uh, chuck was chuck was the flowmaster back then
1: yeah the legend the legend that is chuck carswell yeah it's, um, yeah we, we talk often about about that guy and he's he's an amazing coach um,
0: unbelievable great human being too that was I, um i tell you so i'll well, actually I'm one of those not I, I the, the level 1 was fantastic but uh I am one of those uh, the absolute minority of cases I got rhabdo after my level 1 proper yeah. Yeah. No way. I uh, I, and it was totally my own fault. Right. Totally my own fault. I'll, I'll preface this story with this was all my own doing. Uh, I got married in 2010 in September. And, you know, in the run up to the wedding, I kind of my training had fallen off a bit Then between the wedding and the honeymoon. I hadn't really done any proper training for probably two months. Uh, and then the, ah. the level one was in October and I came back and it was my first real foray into, into CrossFit beyond doing a bit myself. And, you know, there, there was, there was the, 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 talk at the start, you know, make sure you scale everything, do it to your own ability. Do, do. But of course I, you know, got caught up bit of bravado. I can do this. I uh I got stuck into it as if I hadn't taken a break in training. Probably did a bit more because, you know, it was a bit of a a a little bit of a competitive environment when you're doing those workouts. And it was that weekend uh Annie Thor's daughter was on the on the uh on the on the course there. and she was part of the staff that weekend, I think. And
1: Yep, that's right. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I remember we were we you guys did a, a, an hour on on kipping pull-ups. On kipping pull-ups just clicked that day and um, so I remember being on the bar and I was going this is amazing I can I can finally do a kipping pull-up and, and I was looking down and Annie Thor's daughter was looking up at me going this do more do more this is great keep going and I was like okay I kept going okay. and then okay. what, what are you and do? Then, yeah, then, you to know I was I was thrilled with myself I chose that I chose to do that anyway fine I, I completed the two days passed the course happy days I was stiff and sore stiff and sore on the way home And uh, the next morning I woke up, I flew home, uh, got drove back down to, I live a couple of hours from the airport, drove home. The next morning I woke up and I was like, oh, this is not just regular stiffness and soreness. This is not good. Got up and went to the toilet and uh, there was concentrated coke coming out of me. And now obviously, thankfully, my background is exercise physiology. I recognized immediately what was going on. Um, And uh, I yeah just started getting fluids into me. Made an appointment to go to the doctor. He took some bloods. He explained what I, I I said like this is what I think is happening to me. And he kind of looked at me as if I was a lunatic. Mm-hmm. Um, no, thankfully, yeah, I it was, it, you. Yeah, yeah, it it was it was it was my upper. I did the most the damage in my upper body, so that was you know less severe. I have some good pictures where I look like the Stay puff Marshmallow Man. I'm I am like swollen Dude, up. Savage. But uh it anyway yeah. it, it passed. I went back to the doctor to get my uh get my results and your you've creatine kinase is a marker of muscle damage. You know normally mm. it might be right, yeah. a couple of hundreds. If your score might be a couple of hundred. If you've done a hard workout it might creep up over a thousand. If you've done a bit of damage it might be two or three thousand. Mine was 157 thousands after the weekend. Oh cool. my, my goodness yeah, bad news. but dose. thankfully no damage yeah that is, yeah, that was an, an effective dose of fitness that weekend. Um, there was, yeah, no lasting damage or anything like that.
1: Yeah, it's good. I mean, that's, I mean, honestly speaking, that's what we, uh, anything taken to extreme can be, can be poor in terms of how, how the body adapts to it or doesn't, right? So that's a, that's a hidden danger with any time that you train, you know, like I know, obviously, if you train at intensity, but that's, that's any intensity, right? There's more people get that doing, doing the London Marathon each year than doing crossfit right but it's um absolutely it's still it's still the same thing it's still that it's just if you if you train or you're involved in training you have to be on the lookout for you know what are going to be likely um instigators of that situation so for example you know like eccentric movement patterns are high volume
0: it's mm-hmm. like I mean. in a
1: can That's probably the, yeah. yeah exactly it's going to mess you up right and also you know like a if you're strong upstairs but perhaps you haven't been training physically for a while. That's a recipe yeah. for it too. You know, and it's, and it, as a coach, you've got to be like, okay, what, well, what kind of animal am I looking at right now? Right. Cause you know, you spend, I spend most of my time training folk who I'm like going, Hey, you can go a little bit faster. Like you can, because they've got, and then some of them you're like, yeah, you need to slow down a bit, mate. Cause you know, like either, either the technique is going too too off kilter or alternatively you fully know their background. I mean, for example, ex-military types are going to be huge for it, right? Because they've got it upstairs, but let's say they've left the forces for a long time. And, you know, upstairs, they still want to go and thrash themselves like they're a 19-year-old going through basic training, but realistically, they're 50.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: I hear that. <laughs> and then and then they go smash themselves and you're like, ah, and, but, you know, I think that that degree of rhabdo is probably there quite often in, in us when we train, you know, like those days where you're just so unbelievably sore from a stimulus, um but yeah you're right you like you have to be on the lookout for those overall flu-like symptoms just feeling that utterly done swelling as you saw and like yeah the big indicator is i don't think at any point if there's blood in your urine you're in a good place you know
0: yeah no no i got a bit of a shock when i saw that But yeah, uh, yeah, no, like that was, yeah, that was just an interesting story from back then. But it was, I can remember I'm like, my geez, my long term memory isn't that good, but I, I distinctly remember the Rabdo chat at that convers, at yep. that uh, that weekend, yeah. and kind of going, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, whatever, <laughs> you know. But uh, yeah, what no, happened it, to me? It could happen. Yeah, no, that was that was good. That was Another thing I remember from that, well, I remember meeting you that weekend as well. And I have a vague recollection of you saying, did you tell me that your mother's maiden name was Wardrop? Yeah, my
1: family history is Wardrop. Yeah. So um, basically uh, they're all from Glasgow. All my grandmother's grandmother's maiden name. So all of her sisters and brothers. In fact, there's a, a famous war hero um, from the family, Jack Wardrop, who is a sergeant in the tank regiment. Uh, all through the Second World War. So yeah.
0: If you come to Ireland and you meet another Wardrop, they are related to me. We are so it's a small number. So the fact that someone else in a, in a big city walked up to me and goes, "Hey, my family name's Wardrop too," that made it memorable. Yeah, there you go, mate. Yeah, there's not many knocking about, is there? No, I think if yeah, Glasgow, Motherwell, that kind of direction, I think there's 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 lots of them over there. Yeah, that's right. That's that's my Carl. Listen we will we will we will wrap it up there I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me there it's been really really interesting I think uh, plenty of nuggets of wisdom there for anyone who wants to to develop themselves as a professional coach regardless of whether they are CrossFit strength and conditioning athletics gymnastics swimming you name it I think there's some really good generic advice that, um, that, that you have given them there today so I'm very very appreciative of your time thanks no you, thank you very much no worries buddy you're welcome thanks for having me Wow, I really enjoyed that chat with Carl, he is such an experienced coach and a genuinely cool guy. He gave us some useful practical tips for anyone who coaches, regardless of the sport that you're involved in. Here are my three take home tips from what Carl had to say. Number one, time and trade. If you want to be a great coach, you must spend time coaching and that needs to start now. You absolutely need to learn your theory, but this can be learned along the way, it can always be revised, or it could even be crammed in if necessary. However, you can't make up for hours that you haven't spent coaching. It's not possible to cram a year's worth of coaching into a weekend. So get out there and get stuck in with your local club, school, friends, family, whoever. Number two, the ability to triage an athlete's movements. I really like this idea for prioritising what feedback needs to be given and when. As you observe an athlete, you might notice more than one thing that needs to be corrected. So which do you address first? Using medical triage principles, you would address the most serious issue first. Hopefully, what you are seeing is not life-threatening, but is it dangerous or likely to result in injury? If so, you want to fix that first. Once the athlete is moving safely, you would then move on to address bigger faults that relate to basic technique. And finally, you would address the smaller faults that affect specific technique or efficiency of movements. Third, we had the concept of threshold coaching. I thought this was a really interesting concept. Right now, are you capable of effectively coaching a large group or squad of athletes? Have you the skills required to control and triage many athletes simultaneously? Just like we might advise an athlete to train at their threshold in order to improve, perhaps coaches should coach at their threshold, working with smaller groups initially to develop their skills before taking on a whole class or squad. Okay, that's it for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it far and wide. Also, if you'd like to get in touch with suggestions for future guests or professions you'd like to hear from, or if you have any questions you'd like me to ask, then you can get in touch with me on Instagram at B underscore Wardrop. Thanks for listening.